Holy God, we recognize that your word says you are here. Your word says you are our counselor. Uh, The word says that you are the one who leads us to all truth. Your word says you are truth. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, because your word says you are love and you are good, and we can trust you. And so, holy God, we want to trust you, our loving, good Father, more deeply. So come, Holy Spirit, and enliven us to the truth of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. So years ago, I'm traveling uh, from Minneapolis to Denver, and I'm traveling with my boss at the time, senior pastor uh, at uh, Crossroads Church in Woodbury, and we are heading to a conference, a midwinter conference in Denver. And uh, because he's my senior, I let him have the aisle seat. I take the coveted middle seat. And um, as we sit down, there's a woman uh, in, in the window seat. <clears throat> she looks like a business, business professional. And, uh, you know, as you sit down in these contexts, you never quite know what's going to happen. I would brought a book uh, thinking that I would be reading. I did not read <laughs> in that particular flight. As we sat down, the woman next to us, she quickly struck up a conversation, and she wanted to know, first of all, what did we do for a living? Um, no, she said, where are you headed? Why are you headed to Denver? And we said, well, we're going to a conference. And she said, okay, so well, what do you guys do for a living? Now, put yourself in my position. Um, Knowing you're going to be traveling next to someone for the next three hours, and you're just about to tell them you're a pastor, engenders a certain low-grade anxiety, because you really don't know, and probably in them as well, you really don't know how they're going to respond. I mean, they might be an atheist. They might despise the church. They might despise Christians. They might want to argue with you the whole time. There are all kinds of different thoughts. You know, are you going to get a shrug of the shoulders? Are they going to put their headphones in? Or are they going to want to engage you in conversation for the next three hours? And that's what happened. Now, I will say this was one of my favorite plane trip conversations. I had so much fun, and I think she did too. She was not a believer in Jesus. She was not a Christian, but she had a lot of questions. And she gave me one of my favorite questions. And her question to me was, so what? Over and over again for three hours, so what? It was brilliant. She wanted to know, what kind of pastor was I? What did I believe? I told her, you know, I'm I'm a pretty orthodox evangelical pastor. I believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I believe that uh, humanity uh, needs a Savior, that Jesus was sent uh, as the Son of God uh, to save us, that He was returning, etc., etc., etc. And over and over again, I kept getting this great question. So what? And, and the issue was, she didn't just want to know about her eternity. She was on a plane trip to Denver. And she wanted to know, is this good news for today? So what I'd like to do, 
over the uh, next many weeks is I would like to explore the so what. Specifically, I want to focus on this question, what is the so what of the gospel? Now, that word, gospel, it's an old English word. Today, we typically translate in English as good news. But when you read the word gospel in the New Testament, it's really a translation of a Greek word, euangelion, sometimes said evangelion. And, and that simply means good message, good prop proclamation, good news. So what's the so what of the euangelion? Is it that God, in His great wisdom, has seen fit to give His people weekly religious experiences? I, I think it's not that. I mean, because if that's all it is, well, so what? Is it that God wants to help you manage your private religious stuff. No, I don't think so. It has to be bigger than that. So what? What's the so what? So what we're going to do is we're going to explore, we're going to dive deep. And warning, I need to let you know the gospel is simple. And I need to let you know the gospel is complex. So let's say, for example, you came to me and you said, Pastor Brad, what's a tree? Well, I would very clearly uh, go outside. i said, let's go outside. I'd point to a tree and I'd say, that is a tree. Simple, right? But let's say you wanted to know a little bit more about a tree. Well, that, of course, would be possible, right? Because we could continue to investigate. All right, a tree has leaves. A tree has branches, a tree has a trunk, a tree has bark, a tree receives sunlight and oxygen, it has roots in the ground. A tree is always put in a context. And so why is the tree in the context? There are things around the tree that kind of look like trees, but they're not tree. They're bush. <laughs> they're shrub. And so the gospel is kind of like that. We get to dive deep. I want to be simple, and I want to be deep. My goal is each week as we explore the so what of the gospel, the image of the gospel will come to life more clearly. So when someone on a plane trip to Denver says to you, so what's the so what about the gospel, you'll feel confident in telling them. Where would you turn? Let's say someone in a, in a plane says, what's the so what of the gospel? What's the so what of Christianity? Tell me right now, fellow traveler, if you had a Bible with you, and most likely you do on your phone at least, you could pull out that Bible and you could turn to our text today, which is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 7. Now, if you would, please turn there, grab a Bible in your uh, seat in front of you or on your phone. Please read along with me. And as we go through this, please keep it open, you know, so, so that you can follow along as well. As you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of context Many scholars think that these words are the, some of the oldest words in the whole New Testament. Theologian, Bible smart guy, Scott McKnight says, 1 Corinthians 15 is nothing less than a lifting up of the curtains in the earliest days of the church. It tells us what everyone believed and what everyone preached. Before there was a New Testament, before the apostles were beginning to write letters, before the gospels were written, there was the gospel. 
And what he's saying is, these words on the gospel were most likely what the early church was speaking about when they used that word, that Greek word, euangelion. So let's stand and read them. I'll read them out loud. You please follow along. We stand because this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. These are the words of the gospel, the words of the apostle Paul. You may be seated. So, if you're a note taker, and I encourage you to be one, um, please grab your worship folder, follow along, take notes, uh, because you're going to need them when you fly to Denver. What do we learn first? Well, we learn first that we stand on the gospel. We stand on the gospel. R.E.M. sang, stand in the place where you live. It's not really helpful for our endeavor here. Tammy Wynette sang, uh, uh, stand by your Stand by your man. <laughs> and Bob Marley sang, get up, stand up, stand up for your, come on, people, stand up for your rights. Yes, that actually is a little more helpful here. We've all heard the question, so where do you stand on XYZ? Where do you stand on gun rights? Where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on this impeachment trial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? What is that question asking? That question is asking, what do you, le- what do you believe to be true to the extent that you will defend your position because you believe it to be true? What's the opposite of taking a stand? We stand down, Right? We submit. We choose not to defend our position at that particular time. Paul says the good news, the gospel, is true, so we plant our feet there and we hold our ground. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. It's a wonderful image, isn't it? The good news of Jesus Christ is this, that's where my faith has solidly, solidly planted its feet. I'm taking my stand here on this good news, on this proclamation of the message of Jesus. Okay, so what? <laughs> Why would we even take our stand there? Is there some sort of benefit to standing on the gospel? Well, yeah. Paul says next, he says, we are saved by the gospel. In Christianity, you hear this word quite a bit. Uh, You hear saved, you hear salvation. Are you saved? When were you saved? When uh, do you want to be saved? We hear these words quite a bit, and sometimes we hear them so much we forget what they mean. Uh, That word saved simply means rescued. 
By this gospel, you are saved. By this gospel, by this good news, you are rescued if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. And if you're like me, you might find this a bit puzzling because, well, huh, I thought we were saved by Jesus. Gospel is simply good news. It's a good message, an important proclamation. But elsewhere, Paul puts it similarly. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation, that brings rescue to everyone who believes. So what? Well, wow, Uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus has power, the power of God to bring rescue to all who will, will believe in and depend upon it, to all who will hold firmly to the good news. But how can a message save you? Well, let's think of it really practically. Um, think of those Surgeon General warnings on a, on a, a billboard for uh, cigarettes or on a, um, a pack of cigarettes. What do we read? We read a message. The message says, warning, smoking during pregnancy stunts fetal growth. That's one of the new ones. Uh, or the Surgeon General says, warning, smoking causes head and neck cancer. Warning, smoking can cause heart disease and strokes by clogging your arteries. So what? Well, the Surgeon General has taken a stand on something that is medically true. The message, smoking will kill you early. If you heed the Surgeon General's message and you hold firmly to what he has proclaimed, that message actually has the power to save your life. Reject the message and smoke cigarettes, well, you do so at your own peril. Part of the so what of the gospel is that if it's true and we abide by the truth of the gospel, we will be rescued, we will be saved. Reject the good news of Jesus, well, we do so at our own peril. A pushback you might give me is, okay, Pastor Brad, but the Surgeon General's warnings are are grounded in good medical research. What is the gospel rooted in? Paul tells us, the gospel is rooted in the Scriptures. Look at verse 3 and 4 of our passage. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures He's referring to are what we would call the Old Testament or the First Testament. Thus, Paul, and get this, this is important, Paul is tying the good news of Jesus to the story of Israel. Okay? So, like a tree has context, the gospel has context. Paul is saying, good news, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel, which are promises for the whole world. That's a whole other sermon as to what all those different promises are. One specifically, God's promise to Abraham is that Abraham's going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky or the sand uh, on the seashore, and that out of his line is going to come a blessing for all of humanity. The Scriptures say, uh, Paul actually says, for all the promises of God are yes in Christ. 
Part of Paul's point in announcing the good news of Jesus is the promises God made to Israel have come true in Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. See, that's why we got to get this, that it's tied to the story of Israel. You don't understand Messiah well until you understand that Israel was waiting for a Messiah who would come and rule and reign and usher in a never-ending kingdom of shalom. So it has, it, the gospel is contextual. What happens, though, when we divorce the gospel from the story of the Scriptures, from the story of Israel, is the gospel becomes very individualistic. The gospel becomes all about me and me getting to heaven. It's God has entered my story, and, um, and, and, and He's changing my life so that I can have an eternity in heaven. But isn't it really better news that I get to enter God's story and that God is doing something for all of creation and restoring and redeeming, and it's not just about me? <laughs> yeah. I get to be a part of what God is doing. Christian philosopher, he's now passed away, Dallas Willard, he calls this individualistic gospel thinking, he calls it vampire theology, where we just want a little bit of the blood of Jesus to get us to heaven. He, he writes, I'd like a little bit of your blood, Jesus, but I don't care that you're Israel's Messiah. And I'm not really interested about the larger vision of God in the world. I don't want to be your student, and, and I, I don't necessarily want the character of Christ. In fact, you, you won't, uh, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life, and I'll see you in heaven. Thanks for the ticket. <laughs> Hear this. The gospel is good news for us, but the gospel is not fundamentally good news about us. Why? Because the gospel is Jesus. The good news is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Want to know what a tree is? I point to a tree. You want to know what the gospel is? Let's make it really simple. Point to Jesus. In fact, let's get really simple. Some, someone comes to you and they're like, what is the gospel? You have two, we'll give you three words. <laughs> three words. Jesus, God saves. What does the name Jesus mean? It means God saves. Jesus is the one through whom God saves. The good news of the gospel is that God has seen fit to save, and He has done so, done so through Jesus. Now, if, if you just have just a couple minutes, you can do that. But let's, let's go deeper. Let's say your, your friend on the flight to Denver says, okay, um, you've shown me the first seven verses of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. You've told me that Jesus' name means God saves. Okay, that's the gospel. I want to go a little deeper. Well, then you could, if you like, you could go to the force, first, forced, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Throughout church history, what do we call those four books? We call them the gospels, Right? And they are not four different Gospels. They are four tellings of the life and ministry of Jesus because they are four tellings of the Gospel. And they are not just a random story about a particular gentleman named Jesus. They are the good news that this person named Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. Okay? 
Let's be clear. I've said this before, but it's always good to be reminded Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? Uh, Christ is His title. The Greek word Christos is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek with some Aramaic. So, Christ means Messiah, anointed one, king. Paul, in this simple summation of the gospel, is very specific. Jesus is the gospel, and Jesus is the Christ. Well, it would be miraculous to hear Brad Kendall, pastor of Faith Covenant Church, he died, but then he was resurrected. And then he appeared to all Faith Covenant Church, and then he ascended, ascended to heaven. While that would be miraculous and wonderful, and hopefully good news to some people, um, that is not the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that those things happened to the Christ. So, um, we would start with Jesus, the Christ, died, and that's where Paul does. Verse 3, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Jesus, God's anointed deliverer and king, was the one who has the authority to deliver us, and He is the one who is able, because of who He was and because of the life He lived, to take those sins as an accurate, accurate uh, payment to take our death penalty so we would not have to. Now, my friend on the plane actually said this. She sa- essentially said, so what? Many would-be messiahs have died for people. Hmm, Point well taken. But the gospel doesn't stop with the fact that Christ died, right? Jesus the Christ, the good news is that He is no longer in the grave. His authority has been proven and validated because He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, Paul says. So, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, He is risen. Yes, the powers of that time hung Jesus on a cross, and they executed Him between two thieves. So, three people died on that particular Good Friday, but only one of them three days later rose from the dead physically and was resurrected. And He became, the one Paul says, the firstborn of God's new creation. The one God gave authority to take away all the world's sin has been vindicated in the resurrection. He's alive. And then I love this. How do we know? Paul adds this, Christ appeared. This is a real diamond in the rough in this passage. Paul declares that Christ died, rose again. Then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the other disciples. And then he writes, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then of last of all, he appeared to me also. It's as if Paul is saying, listen, don't just take my word for it. This gospel that saves you can be verified by the apostles and more than 500 witnesses, many of whom are still alive today at this writing. Then finally, not only has the Christ died, risen, and appeared, the Christ ascended. So, whenever you think about the ascension of Jesus, that's not just uh, Jesus going up to get a penthouse apartment. That is Jesus ascending to the right hand of God the Father. This This is kingship thinking. 
Uh, and, and we're, we're going to be talking more about this the next couple weeks. May I challenge you with this? Sometimes in the church, you'll hear, and I've said this as well, um, Jesus is my own personal Lord and Savior. Is He your own personal Lord and Savior? And while that is fine, I think it's too small. Jesus is not just my personal Lord and Savior and your personal Lord and Savior. Because the Christ, the Messiah, has risen and rules and reigns and sits at the right hand of God the Father, He is all of creation's Lord and Savior, whether you agree with it or not, if the gospel is true. And there will come a time when all dominion, power, and authority is placed under His feet. We're going to be talking about that over the next couple of weeks as well. So the gospel is not just good news. You've gotten to defeat Satan's sin and death because he's your personal Lord and Savior. The good news is that Jesus has defeated Satan's sin and death for all of creation. What is the good news? Point to Him. He is the gospel. Jesus, God saves is the gospel. Christ died, Christ risen, Christ appeared, Christ ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So what is the so what of the gospel? Well, part of that depends upon your response. Do you receive this gospel? When it comes to Jesus, where do you stand? Helpful life coach, good teacher, or Lord, the Christ? Can you receive this good news? Now, I want to do a shameless plug, and then we're going to pray. Uh, the shameless plug is for Alpha. If you're here today, or you have a friend, or a neighbor, or a family member, and they are curious about all that we've been talking about, but they have questions, or maybe they're, they're a skeptic, or maybe they're brand new to this faith, I would love it if they would come on Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, to Alpha. Alpha is, means beginnings. Uh, Alpha is a ministry here at church. It's going to happen for the next several weeks where you get a free dinner and then a teaching uh, on who Jesus is, what did He teach, etc., what is the gospel, and then you get to ask all the questions you've ever wanted to in a, a, a small group atmosphere. If you'd like to come to Alpha, if you want to invite a friend to Alpha, which I please hope you will, if you, if you want to know what Alpha's like so that later you can invite a friend, you need to let us know you're coming, okay? So you need to register on Realm, or you can go to our website and find the link, or you just call the church office tomorrow and, uh, and tell us you're coming, all right? We would love it if you'd come to Alpha. What I'd like to do right now, though, for anyone else, if you're in this room and you're saying, you know what? It's time. I want to cross that line of faith. I want to take my stand on the gospel, the gospel that has the power to save. If you'd like to do that and you've never done that, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. The way the disciples started the whole deal was they began with what you could do right now, which is simply a, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Let's pray. I'll pray a line. You can simply pray that line back to God. Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner and I need you to rescue me. I need you to save me from my sins. I believe you lived, died, and rose again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. 
and empower me to believe in and depend upon you forevermore. I want to be your disciple. In your name I pray. Amen. I love it. The God who is love simply invites us to say, yes, come, follow me. It's good news. If you prayed that prayer today, uh, we have at the welcome tables, we have what we call a yes packet, which is just kind of instructions on how uh, to take next steps in the journey. We encourage you to do that. Uh, We are going to invite the kids in now.